We begin a look today at Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the book in the Bible and the New Testament that we call Romans. The New Testament has the four gospel and then the book of Acts, which is the story of the church, the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, and then Paul's letter to the Romans. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes and ears of our understanding that we may learn more and more about this wonderful book of the Bible, which is so full and has had such a great effect on your kingdom and in this world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Romans has had a huge impact, so much so that it seems to say that every major revival that's occurred throughout the history of the church has as its foundation, and at least in part, if not completely, deep study of the book of Romans. And this is my opinion. That's because the book of Romans helps us to see so clearly who God is, who we are, and how we are so dependent on God. And as we put our trust in God, He directs daily lives in a way that greatly makes our lives better. It doesn't mean that they'll be easy, but it means that we learn to enjoy and to have the joy and peace of the Lord in our hearts as we grow in the likeness of Christ. So let's just talk in general for a few minutes about the letter. Paul's letter to the church at Rome was written about 57 or 58 AD. In other words, about 24 years approximately after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We know that Paul was a persecutor of the church until he had his Ascus Road experience, which is laid out in the book of Acts, where Paul, Saul, as his name was then, went from being a persecutor of Christian to being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Romans was written by Paul from, it was during his third missionary journey. It's believed that it was written from Corinth. And as I said earlier, about the year 57 D, he was writing to a church that he had never visited, and he did not personally have any involvement in the beginning of that church at Rome. It's important that we understand the makeup of that church because then we understand one of the major reasons why Paul was writing them. So this is the best understanding of scholars who have studied this and the history that we have is that on the day of Pentecost, on the day when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, in Jerusalem, there were Jewish people from Rome who were residents of Rome but were visiting Jerusalem on that day at that time, and they were with the disciples, and they were converted on that day from being apart from Christ to being in Christ. In other words, they were born again, and they received the Holy Spirit along with the other Christians there, new Christians that were there. I think, I'm not looking at it, but I think there were 5,000 new Christians added that day. And then when they returned home to Rome, 
they started their own church or churches, home churches. That's the way that, that the church began in this family's home or that family's home. There was no dedicated building other than their homes as the, the place where they came together. To So this church in Rome, and it's believed that there would have been several home churches, it started off as all Jewish people. Later, it became a combination of Jews and Gentiles. And then there came a time when Claudius there of Rome sent away or expelled all the Jews from Rome. I think in Acts chapter 18 is where we find that. So then it became primarily, if not exclusively, a Gentile church, meaning made up of Christians who are not of the Jewish line. Blood. Then after that, there was a time when a newer came, Nero, and he brought the Jews back because he realized how important it was for the commerce, the business in the city of Rome to have the Jewish people there. Their abilities at business were so good that the city had suffered from their absence. So Nero had them invited back, and upon their return, they wanted their church back. Of course, the Gentiles didn't want to go along with that. The Gentiles had reached this decision and came to this belief in what they call replacement theology, that because the Jews were not faithful in recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, that God had replaced the Jews with the Gentiles. And it's called replacement theology, which, of course, it's not a valid theology, but that was there at that time upon the return of the Jews. So Paul is writing his letter to a mixed group who had goals within their local church, within themselves, over the Jewish people wanting to pull in one direction and the Gentiles in another direction, especially as it related to the Jewish of eating certain foods and not eating certain foods and honor certain days and not honoring other days, that all of those things that made up the Jewish way of life and then the things that made up the Gentile way of life were butting heads with one another, so to speak. And this created problems within the church. We can tell from Paul's letter that the church had was a church of great, and they had love for one another, but these problems existed, and he was addressing these problems as we see the letter of Paul to the Romans. Okay, with that said, we're going to read the first few verses of the book of Romans. Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Church concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was there to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and a ship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, 
including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless this reading of his holy and So as Paul begins his letter, he's writing a Again, we were that he's writing to people that he doesn't know, and they don't know him other than what they may have heard in other, by reputation. So he almost starts off with what might be considered a letterhead, and most of his letters, if not all of them, start off in a similar fashion. So think of this as being a letterhead, and first he puts his name so they know who the letter's from. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. He's saying who he is and what he is. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. That is a a slave person who is willingly slaved, committed to Christ Jesus to follow and serve and honor and trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a savior of the world. He was called to be an apostle, a follower, one who is set apart for the gospel of God. In other words, he is committed in a holy to the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, the news that we can pass from death to life, from lost to found, from blind to seeing by the good news of Jesus, that we all are sinners, that Jesus died for us, took our punish, was executed, put to death on the cross for us in our place, and then was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, and after seeing many witnesses, ascended back to heaven and is coming back one day. That is the good, good, great of the gospel, the news of what God has done for us. As we read in John three sixteen. God so loved you, he so loved all of the world, that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life, life that is with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says this gospel of God was beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Of course, at the time of this writing, the only Bible so to speak, that existed would have been the Old Testament and the parts of it that had been collected into writings, into books. And it was written through the prophets, those who spoke the Word of God under the guidance or direction of God in what we call the Old Testament. And it was about concerning, as he says in verse 3, his son, who about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Emmanuel, God with us, who was fully God and fully, who as to his human nature was descended from David, but of course, as to his deified, his godly nature, he is the uncreated second member of the Godhead, Jesus the Son, who is God and has always been God and shall forever be God. He didn't cease to be God when he became, but he was God who came among us and became a person in order to live the sinless life and then die in our place, paying for our sins in full. As he said from the cross, it is finished, paid in full, 
for my sin and your sin and for the sins of the world. And he says, this Jesus was declared to be the Son of God, was shown to be, was to be the Son of God in the power according to the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, When he was resurrection, by his resurrection from the dead, he was raised by God because he was God and is God. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the Messiah. That's what Christ means. He is the Savior that God, and he is our Lord, which means that we owe all things to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but we're speaking about Jesus, the Son, through whom, through Jesus, we have received all who have been born again. If you have been born again in Christ Jesus, you have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name of Jesus among all the nations. We have received grace, God's grace that brought us into, or we're saved by grace through faith, our faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. In other words, following and honoring the person of Jesus Christ Among all the nations, he said as his last command to us, he said, go therefore, Matthew 20, go therefore and make disciples, followers of Christ of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, them all that Jesus has commanded us and knowing that Jesus himself is with us even to the end of this age. And he says, including you, the people that he's writing to, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. If we're a born-again Christian, then that identifies us as not just followers of Christ, but we belong to him. He has purchased us by his death, his burial, his resurrection, by paying for our sins. And there's no such thing as being a little bit of a Christian. We are, if we're a born-again Christian, then we are all in spiritually, and we need to let our side line up with our spiritual and be all in to belong to Jesus Christ. So that is his pedigree, so to speak, his description of who he is and why he is what he is. And then when we get to verse 7, he identifies by describing who it is that he's writing to. So he says, I'm writing this letter to all of you, all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saved. God loves his creation, but it's a different love that he has for those who have been born again and reconciled or made right with God. In other words, because we know that we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and that sin separated us from God. But in Christ Jesus, his work that we were just, we are brought back into right relationship with God and into fellowship with God to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, one who is sanctified, one who has had the righteousness of Christ placed in their lives and that we are Holy Spirit 
fulfilled at the time of our new birth, and we're set apart. We're holy, set apart for God, set apart to God and for God. And then he greets them and says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is God giving us breath and life and water and sun and the placement of the earth in the perfect place for us to be able to live at all. And all of God's creation and the giving of to us of our life in Christ Jesus. That is, all of those things are God's grace and his day-to-day giving of grace to us just in order that we may live this life that he's given us. So it's grace to you and peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus the peace from God and of God, and the God he's referring to is not the little g gods that people made up. This is the God, the one true God, God the Father of all, and the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the givers of grace to us, but specifically at that time to the fellowship of believers who were in Rome, the born-again Christians who were a part of that church. I'm sure that church at that time, just like in all of the churches that exist today, there are people who are present and participating who've never experienced the new birth to be born again in Christ Jesus. But they are there, and so he is speaking of what grace and peace is in the life of a true believer, one who has, in fact, been born again. So that's a part of the introduction of this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, and we're going to do that in our next segment. So I pray that we would each spend time in this Word. You read through the entire book in an hour or so, and we ought to read this book with regularity because it is it has been called the Christian manifesto or the statement of what it is to be a Christian and how we are to this Christian life. The wonderful book of Romans deserves our attention often and frequently and thoroughly. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.